Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jerick Show. I, as always, am Javad Malik, and we have an action-packed episode for you today. We talk about ransomware, ransomware, more ransomware. But also, we have a very special guest uh, who I'm delighted to have on the show today. It's Jim from Safeguard Cyber. Welcome to the Jerick Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Krohn. Timely topics poorly presented. Hello, everyone. Eric, you're here again. I am. I made it. I made it again. You can't get rid of me that easily, man. Cool. And we have got Jim from Safeguard Cyber. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here and, and watching your opening credits. I'm also looking forward to my next career as your Steve Higgins hype man announcer, maybe even theme song maker uh, coming up. So when, when you guys hit the big time in you know a decade or so, I'll be ready to join you as uh, an <laughs> announcer. Yeah. Nice. Our, our big time goal is actually to have more than four uh, regular listeners. So once we we're close, we're real close. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's good to be here. <laughs> so anyway, let's dive straight into it. And uh, okay, get your puns ready, gents. I know you're both itching for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you already missed one opportunity. I know I have, haven't I? <laughs> it's all these buttons I've got to control and make sure the screens are all set up right. That that. I can't think about too many things at the same time. But uh, JBS, uh, meat manufacturer, producer, manufacturer, producer, whatever, cleaner, slaughterer, they 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 got slaughtered by ransomware. Um, and uh, the the uh, Revel Revel gang is uh, behind the attack, according to the FBI. Uh, what are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, so uh, first of all, this is a story I can really sink my teeth into. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get started like that. Okay, yeah. Um, anyways, you know, this this was pretty big, you know, um, kind of on the heels of what happened with the pipeline thing here. Now we got to hit in this major meat producer. They're not the manufacturer. The animals actually produce the meat. So let's be clear on that. Um, but they are a major, like, distributor. Um, and... It's really kind of shaken some things up, quite frankly. Um, and of course, they got hit again by Revol or Soda. So, so I've never been able to say that one right. Um, there's a couple other names to that. Um, Revol being, here's a little bit of uh, trivia for you, apparently based on Resident Evil. That's where the name comes from. How about that, huh? Also a RAS service, ransomware as a service, and one of the major players in some of these pretty significant hits. Um, so this is really kind of shaking things up a little bit. I know um, even locally here, uh, friends, family, they were kind of freaking out. They're going, oh, meat prices are going to go up like gas prices did. You know, people are going to be hoarding chicken now and, and I don't know, stuffing it in trash cans in the back of their car and, and doing whatever. But, you know, it, I don't know if it did or not, but it may take a little bit of a hit on some of the meat prices. Um, but this kind of stuff is kind of getting out of hand, you know, and, and like you mentioned in the beginning here, Javad, this is the ransomware, ransomware, ransomware story show. And it's not like we try to just find ransomware stories, but that's what's hitting hard all this week. Um, so unfortunately, 
you know, we have to deal with this and we have to continue dealing with this. Now, in this case here, um, I don't uh, I don't know if they paid the ransom on this. One thing about it, the Revol strain is a data exfiltration strain. So I haven't heard much about that side of things, but there's there's uh, quite often data exfiltration uh, with it. And again, uh, it is a RAS strain, as we've talked about before. So ransomware is a service. In other words, there's other operators that are actually pulling off the attacks while the group is over here um, oftentimes uh, developing this stuff. So profit sharing, it's a pretty complicated thing, which is why it's in the news all over the place. But yeah, this was pretty brutal. This took them, took them down, but kudos on them for apparently getting back up and running very, very quickly. So yay for them on that. Um, yeah. So oh, they got back into the saddle very quickly. Um, yes. so, so, Jim, do you think this sort of temporarily? But yes, yes, <laughs> Jim, do you think this is uh, it's no longer a rare occurrence? Is it medium or well done? You know, I, I, I do think I, I remember my seventh. This reminds me of my seventh grade health class. And they taught you the, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like what are the basic human needs? And if you think about the ransomware events over the last several weeks, you know, you've got fuel, you've got uh, the Irish Department of Health. So you've got your own personal welfare. Now we've got food. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy has gotten crushed. And the only thing left we've got is like self-actuation or whatever it is that is kind of at the, like the bottom of the hierarchy. So somebody's going to attack like the Calm app at this point. So none of us are going to be able to meditate anymore. Um, but it, but in all uh, in all sincerity, um, you, we're we're moving from a world where ransomware was a fractional event um, that uh, security leaders would have to worry about every year. And now it's more like the common cold where you're going to get it every year. You're going to get attacked and have to deal with it. And so your infrastructure really has to be built around the resilience to respond to it, as opposed to the world of, of before where it was like, well, nine of my my colleague, my peers are going to get hit, but I'm going to try to be that one out of 10 that doesn't. So the incidence rates are going to go up dramatically or have gone already. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Speaking of incident rates going up, surprise, surprise, the next story, Fujifilm. Fujifilm, I actually remember them as a kid, like when you had those cameras with the, with the Fujifilm reels, but it's like the Kodak or Fuji you'd put in your camera. Yeah. And uh, and I remember getting told off by my parents often for wasting photos because only like 24 or 36 in the reel. <laughs> anyway, they, they're still around. Uh, a bit of nostalgia there for you folks. Uh, they have shut down the network after a suspected ransomware attack. And I like the wording, a suspected ransomware attack. I, I can imagine there's a massive image on your screen saying, pay up. Here's a Bitcoin wallet address. Here's how much time you have. And like, I suspect it could be a ransomware attack. But uh, but that's uh, that's them. Fugitive, they're, they're actually like 20.1 billion a year company, like with 37, over 37,000 employees. So um something i learned um, look at that they're into pharmaceuticals now javad i mean whoever <laughs> thought about that they're into pharmaceuticals um like is this one of those swallow a pill and it takes photos as it goes down your esophagus or something i mean i don't <laughs> i don't even know how those things kind of cross over into each other but um 
yeah, it's uh, it's a big company. It's still a big company, very well known mm -hmm. company. Um, and yeah, wow. So again, likely ransomware attack. You're 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 right. You're right on the money with that one because when this big thing, you know, of all the things that the digital forensics needs to find out when it comes to one of these, it's not is this actually a ransomware attack? Because they make it pretty blatantly obvious when these things <laughs> come down. Um, now, kudos to them on reporting very quickly on their webpage openly, right? And we always, Javad, you and I, we always like to give kudos to organizations that are clear with the reporting or at least quick to say, we don't know everything that's going on right now, but this is what we know and doing it clearly as opposed to trying to hide it, sweep it under the rug, be real quiet about what's going on. We think there's a huge amount of respect goes out to organizations that do that. And that's what they're doing here is they're informing people, um, which, which I really like. And it does look like this is another revel attack. Um, so, you know, we got beef, uh, pork and chicken processors, and now we have Fujifilm. Um, apparently they got hit with, uh, some sort of a Trojan put there by the Cubot. Um, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, geez, I can't even, botnet. Yeah. So Cubot got in there, dropped something in there. Um, there was something going on with the Trojan there. And now all of a sudden we have this, which is kind of why they're leaning towards it probably being Revil because, They've been working with that group quite a bit lately. Um, and so very, you know, odds are very strong. It's the same sort of thing. So again, we're going to have some data exfiltration here more than likely. We're going to have some other stuff like that going on. Um, but again, here's the thing. This is a huge organization, right? They have money for defense. They have all this kind of stuff in place. And, you know, when we see stuff like this go on, we also have to remember that small organizations get hit. They don't make the news like this do all the time, but small organizations get hit. And one of the challenges I've seen in talking to people like my chiropractor, we were talking about at one time uh, and he was like, you know, if these big companies can get hit, what chance do I have? And, and almost giving up on the whole thing at that point, like, well, I'll just do my best when it happens. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's that's a mindset we can definitely discuss. Um, but company this big getting hit by it just goes to prove, you know, you're right. You're right, Jim. This kind of thing is going to happen or it's very likely to happen. It should be in your playbook for one of the more, um, you know, one of the more common things that you're going to have to deal with for incident response. Absolutely. And and I also I feel like the other thing that a, a, an event like this uh, really points to and, and I wasn't familiar with this before you shared it, Javad, is, you, you know, you got a big company. And so it's it's about the implications of the big company as well as the third party and the whole, you know, Fuji sits on top of a gigantic crop of individual companies that could be affected by this, that will, um, that could be economically impacted by this, that could also have been infected. And so when you've got a big company, it's not only their vulnerability is based on their size, but also, if you will, their depth uh, in terms of supply chain and the like. Yeah, that's right. And and I think it, it, it brings that, that old argument back again, like in a larger company, you're going to have more resources, like you can throw money at the problem, but then you have such a a larger footprint you have all these communication channels you have all these third parties and everything's so complicated that you just don't know which way is up or down and heading down into the subway uh -huh. <laughs> i practiced that one um, uh, the nyc subway operator and martha's vineyard's very latest to report cyber attacks and uh 
Jim, have you, are you aware of this one? No, I hadn't heard about this one as well. So clearly I've been living under a rock, but I can think of all of the, all of the, you know, vacationers going to Martha's Vineyard that are, are stuck in the water. So, um, but, you know, honestly, we're back to the Maslow's hierarchy. Now, now I can't get around anywhere, uh, whether I'm, I'm visiting the city or, or going out to a summer cottage. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pervasive, right? Uh, that's 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 an element uh, that that's just it's it's impossible to miss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you really the last thing you want is when you're on your way to the third home out there um, on the water. You really don't want to get you know in trouble out there at, at sea. Um, now, <laughs> now, truth is, this one here. Um, this is a very short article you pulled up here, Javad. It gives almost no information. I love that. Well done. A good choice of particular articles to get. But I happened to do a media comment up on this one yesterday. So I, I know a little bit about it. Uh, the good news is basically, at least on the ferry side, uh, it basically took down ticketing. So it didn't impact the the ships at all. You know, this wasn't a, a case of, uh, you know, what was it, Maersk that was, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of hurt by this. Um, it, it didn't really impact the schedules because they still had schedules running and things like that. Um, but it did impact ticketing, especially new things or cancels or whatever, and, and getting that sort of stuff up. So they did say that there were going to be some more um, delays, I guess, in this. Um, the New York City one, I don't have a lot of information on. But one thing I do want to point out here is this is another example of them going after government-run things. Because both of these are run by you know state or local governments. It's that same thing which we've seen over and over again throughout history with ransomware, where state, local governments, municipalities, those sorts of groups are constantly being targeted. Because A, they tend to be under really, really strict budgets, so they don't have a lot of money to hire people necessarily. And, and, you know, they're stretched really thin as it is yet because they're a government entity, they can usually come up with the money if they need to, to pay the ransoms through one way or another, when it becomes critical, they can't just close the doors on the subway and go, ah, didn't have money to pay it. You know, we got to go away. Um, that's not an option. So they know that. And they, they really try to hit those groups like that. And, yep. and the intelligence about, you know, what's in their tech stack is, you know, all other things equal, easier to find out yeah. for a public entity than it would on a private entity. So, lot, yeah, lots of vulnerabilities. There's some parallelism, right, between now people in New York City are jumping the turnstiles and now the Martha's Ferry, Martha's Vineyard Ferry, they're jumping the turnstiles there. It's quite an image, parallel image to see. Yeah, as long as they're not doing it with the cars, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's an image. There it is. Yes. Did, did, did you see a, a few weeks ago there was someone that jumped a drawbridge, like one of those drawbridges, it was just opening and they crashed through the barrier and they jumped over it? I think the, that was here in Florida. It yeah. was, it, it, of course. Where else would it be? I thought that was a given. <laughs> it's a promotion for the new Fast and Furious movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think it's great that you bring that up, Javad, because I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. When Javad and I did our little trip to Miami a few years ago, um, we were driving around. Every time I turned around, Javad's like, oh, it's a drawbridge. He was fascinated by every drawbridge in the Miami area. He's like, oh, it's a drawbridge. A drawbridge. Uh, so, you know, and you got the big one in London. It's not like it's not something you've ever seen, but uh, kind of ironic that you're dwelling on that once again. Okay. So, um, <laughs> 
Do you guys remember Celebrity Deathmatch? Some of our younger views might not have been uh, familiar with that. Over here, it was on, on MTV. It was like they'd get um, plastic, plasticine, sort of like uh, Play-Doh uh, replicas of famous people, put them in a ring, and you know they'd have a fight to the death. And mm -hmm. that, that's exactly what I was thinking when I saw this um, headline with Biden was confront, will confront Vladimir Putin about ransomware as yep. cyber attacks increase in the US. Uh, this is the point where I read this and I thought, oh, if only the Simpsons were right on this one and we had President Schwarzenegger in charge, then, uh, you know, I, I'd have money on the US. But Get to the stands, chopper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I, I think this is really interesting because a lot of these stories we cover in ransomware and what have you there, uh, the gangs are often linked back to um, Russian gangs or, um, or, or uh, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, is it, do you, do you think this is going to be effective or not? I mean, is, is Biden going to say, hey, Vladimir, stop <laughs> stop ransomwareing us? And he's going to like, yeah, fair point. Yes, I think we, we, we will stop. Um, or is this um, is there any benefit in that, or, or what's the political play here? I suppose I know we don't typically do politics, but it's yeah. it's a political discussion. Uh, I don't know which one of you has, have. Uh, I, I'm impartial. I'm like in the middle, so I don't care who wins. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, I'm thinking of that two tribes uh, video by Frankie Goes to Hollywood from the '80s, where the the Russian uh, premier and I can't remember if it was. Chernyanko and and Reagan were, were wrestling. So I, I've got that image, which is really hard to think about politics after that. But um, I mean, honestly, is it going to work like a, in my opinion, is it going to work like a light switch where it'll turn it off? No way. Uh, is it helpful to have a degree of coordination between the political sphere and the commercial sphere uh, in the United States uh, in, in, in defending against these kind of attacks and saying that it's not acceptable. It, it certainly can't, it can't hurt uh, in the world. That's, that's my perspective. I don't know about you or Eric. Yeah. You know, in this case, I mean, I think largely it's, it's not going to be effective. It's certainly not going to be something that's going to slow things down, but it's essentially putting something on the board that says, we recognize that this is a problem. We recognize that you are the source of this problem. And let's be clear. Most of this stuff is not being put on by the Russian government, right? These are groups that are in Eastern Europe that live in those areas that quite frankly, you know, they, they, they don't bother these groups unless they're attacking Russian things, right? We've, we've already had the discussion about having Cyrillic keyboards or Russian keyboards installed and, and having malware look for that sort of thing, right? So as long as they're not crossing that. So yes, they're kind of harboring that. But, you know, Russia is not the only country in the world that does this. You know, there's lots in Eastern Europe. There's lots around the globe um, that, that does this. Now, we are putting that out there and we're saying, look, this is a serious issue. How far are we willing to go with it? I don't know. Are they going to, you know, throw down and do some arm wrestling? You know, Biden and Putin uh, across the table, you know, over the top style or, or something like that. Uh, you know, what's it actually going to do? But it's kind of like when, if you remember not too long ago, the Red Cross and the Cyber Peace Institute, I think it was, um, put together a, a press release that said, uh, dear ransomware operators, please stop attacking hospitals in the middle of a damn pandemic, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And it, it was largely the same sort of thing. It's like, come on, you know, let we're, we recognize this as a problem. It's not going to stop anything. It's not going to slow anything down. 
but it's another step of, of at least saying we recognize this from the top. Mm -hmm. And you're muted, Javad. Fantastic. Wonderful. I know. I, I was just uh, lip syncing there. So <laughs> I think you make some good points. I had to stop the screen share for some reason. The, 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 I, I zoomed in and it kept jumping down to the bottom of the page yeah. where all those horrible adverts were. So yeah, I, I, I was ready for my pagephacophobia <laughs> or whatever it's called to get triggered there. Thank you, Thank you John. Cool. So that was uh, this week's story roundup. So um, uh, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast on thejerickshow.podbean.com or you can subscribe in your favorite um, podcast app or you could find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at The Jerick Show. And now we're on to my favorite part of the show. Uh, no, it's the, well, the second favorite part. The favorite part is when Eric leaves. But my second favorite part is where we have our special guest. And uh, Jim is the CEO and co-founder of Safeguard Cyber. Um, and uh, he's I've known Jim for a number of years now. I think we first met back in 2015, I believe. I'm not good with dates, but it feels like a long time ago. And uh, you've been doing some great things with uh, Safeguard Cyber. Um, you've uh, you, you focus on the human connection problem. Uh, you do you, you do a ton of research in that space now as well. I'm, I'm a really big fan of the research reports you put out, and uh, you've been growing the business really well as well. So um, I suppose let's start from the top. Like you know, what 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 got you into what what was the what was the driver behind Safeguard Cyber? I mean, what, where do you see the problem? being uh what you're trying to fix especially with the adoption of all these cloud platforms and and uh remote communication sort of tools yeah it's you know we uh when we trace the origins of the business back to 2015 and, and 16 um there there are kind of two mega trends that that we we really saw that uh we pursued as an opportunity to build the business at safeguard cyber one is the one that you've just referenced which is you know, whether you call it digital transformation or whatever your favorite term of it is, there is a fundamental change in the way that people are going to office, how they're communicating. And of course, this has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And so the result is the adoption of so many different platforms that companies uh, and individuals at companies and individuals without companies authorization are using to start communicating. And so back in that time frame, we were seeing that adoption and you know one of the statistics that really caught our attention at the time was how social media communications in terms of volume of accounts was starting to exceed email and so there was kind of a, a passing of the torch in terms of kind of pre predominant communication writ large the second um development that we saw was actually not to get too geopoliticky but we were watching the conflict that was taking place between ukraine and russia at the time and and many people were following it particularly the the eastern part of the ukraine which was contested area and there was a kinetic war and people were shooting at each other which is you know you're like gosh darn it but the other part of it that we really latched onto was that these same platforms that we were seeing as becoming the kind of predominant way of doing business were now being weaponized by Russia as a means of attacking Ukraine. And so we saw nation state going after nation state via the adoption of these platforms 
exploiting vulnerabilities, using them as a way in, uh, the spreading of disinformation. And so we said that it didn't take a lot to figure out that it was gonna go from nation state to nation state, to nation state to company, to criminal to company. Uh, and even you can, you can see this getting down to the individual level where these platforms are both kind of this explosion of the new way we do business and communicate and they're exciting, but they also represent an undeniable expansion of the risk surface that any individual at a company who's responsible for risk and cybersecurity now has to wrestle with, whether they like it or not. And that's what we built Safeguard Cyber is, is to really help companies come to terms with what that surface is and then how to effectively defend it uh, in a way that's just not been available before. That's an interesting, you know, the, the whole social side of things and how it's being used um, in, in modern warfare. You know, it used to be, and, and you know, how many of us know that uh, we used to fly over places and drop leaflets, right? Or, or right. you would set up a radio station on the outside of, an, of somewhere and you'd broadcast into um, another country's airwaves, right? With propaganda, with information like that, with misleading stuff. Uh, you know, all that stuff has taken place over the years. And this is kind of the next iteration. The thing that I see, though, is it's so much more prolific and it really, really, you know, social media really drives into people's um, biases already. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the the audience that an average person has now compared to the way that they did uh, 15 years ago or 10 years ago is huge. And the fact that it's being weaponized, the fact that these sorts of things are being weaponized by other organizations, um, countries, whatever. And I'm sure, you know, in many cases, even within um, corporate entities doing it against each other is corporate, you know, warfare, um, brand warfare type of stuff. Um, this is becoming a real, real hot area and kind of a dangerous one if we don't do something about it. Absolutely. And 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 I would also tell you at the same time that it's becoming a more prolific problem, the tactics have changed. Just, you know, we've, we've done, as Javad, as you mentioned, we've done several um, independent pieces of research around this. And if you look at the 2016 and the tactics that were used at the time and the nature of the accounts and how the accounts behaved, uh, it was different than what you saw around the misinformation around the 2020 election and the misinformation associated with the COVID pandemic. Uh, the, and, and by the way, one of the things that is intriguing is to watch, you know, an account that you know is a bot or a troll uh, and how it is so able to switch the issues that it's worried about, the language that it's speaking uh, from the account magically to move between these issues. So it's a um, it's an adversary that is evolving, uh, and frankly, evolving in a pace that I think is faster than uh, the uh, an individual organization's ability to combat it. And and as you said, Eric, it it can be uh, it can be quite uh, damaging and deadly. So Jim, do you, do you think we were better off with MySpace? And just, you know, the, the stuff when you went to a page and it, it played somebody's favorite song. And so you, you had to listen to their favorite song to see the sparkly stuff up there. And for, for you youngsters out there that don't know what MySpace is, you're kind of lucky. Um, but, you know, it was, it was actually, it was a social platform that, that frankly I thought was going to be the, and then Facebook came in and just kind of ran it over. Um, but, you know, things have definitely changed since those days. Yeah, I think... You know, you got two things that I think are really uh, 
So the, the short answer is I wish, but uh, the longer answer is, you know, I think humans are like water where we just flow wherever there are available surfaces and available openings to go. So humans are uh, naturally curious and they'll adopt all these new platforms. And I think the simultaneous challenge is, is that um, that sense of, I don't know, I, you know, I'm not a psychology person, but id, ego, super ego, whatever it is that you're, you're supposed to talk about. Uh, I think people have a, a lot better as they built these modern platforms and the algos associated with it. They're a lot closer to understanding what's behind the human psychology. And so, you know, it's almost like weapons of mass destruction have been uh, deployed uh, in, in the current environment. So I, I'd love it to be a more innocent time, if you will. But I, I feel like there's so much of of the, the reality of the world that we've just got to face it uh, as it is and, and, and work together as organizations to combat this problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so just, just uh, picking up so a few things that, that, that you mentioned there. And yeah. there's, 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 we see a lot of talk about trolls and disinformation campaigns and misinformation campaigns. And oftentimes that's, especially misinformation is, is closely linked to elections and influencing the, the general public and uh, or, or causing uh, arguments between people. Um, from, a, from a corporate perspective, what are the specific threats that we we see here and i suppose what what are some of the things they can they can do to better grab a handle off of of these things yeah so one of the things that's been interesting right and you you guys have talked about this dynamic of uh misinformation uh is a tool in the arsenal and often it is a tool that is means a means by which you distract um, I think, as you, as you guys have talked about previously, from another tactic that's out there. And so if you the the reason that we got excited about what the defense of what we call this digital resurface. So if you're talking about Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or WhatsApp or Slack, as an example, part of the reason that we're, we got excited about it is because all of those accounts are endpoints, if you will, which means that if you think about the way that you defend your email and you defend your network, uh, why wouldn't you want to be able to inspect the files and the links um, and the language if it's social engineering that's coming in via those individual accounts, whether um, you know it's a direct message or it's an end-to-end -end encrypted message. Uh, you, those are, if I'm a cyber criminal, I don't say, well, I got to use email or I got to attack via this particular method. I'm just looking for a way in. And the adoption of these channels has proliferated the doors that are in the organization. And so all of those doors represent a means of e ingress in terms of the insertion of files, the insertion of links, um, the, the propagation of social engineering. And so you know we saw the opportunity where you've got a whole bunch of these new endpoints and uh, the engineering challenge associated with how do you defend those new endpoints? And then how do you think about those endpoints in conjunction with existing you know, hardware endpoints that might together represent intelligence associated with an attack? And then you know, even further, and this is something I think both Safeguard Cyber as well as the company that you guys work at and know before hold is 
that we're talking about protecting all of these proliferation of apps. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to protect is the human because it's the human who's adopting all of these things. And so if you if you lose sight of the human, you lose sight of the ability to protect them. And so that's what's got us excited is we feel like there are analogs to a lot of other uh, cybersecurity companies and that we're defending at an endpoint. But we've also got this mission, which is the human is always going to be in the center of business and you've got to figure out a way to protect them, frankly, so often whether they like it or not. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And I think when, when you talk about it in terms of endpoints, it just brings it to light because like, say I've got like someone like Eric, if, if he emails me at work internally, it, it's fine, his email comes through. But if he emails me from his personal account to my work account, um, I'll get a, a flag up on the email saying, hey, this person, this name looks similar to someone who works in your organization. Are you sure it's him? We know uh, that. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Which is great for, for, work, for email. But then when he slacks me or when he WhatsApps me or when he texts me, when he calls me up crying at three in the morning because his therapist was, wasn't available, uh, I've got none of those tools available on any of these other multitude of channels that, that he's trying to contact me. So I think... Uh, having the understanding is is really important because yeah today email is probably the, the the number one attack avenue for for enterprises but I don't think that's going to be the case for um, you know a few years down the line. Absolutely, in in fact, I can tell you we've got a customer who's a pharmaceutical customer, and when the pandemic hit, um, they were left with email as the only way that they could communicate with the doctors. And what they found is doctors didn't uh, respond to emails. And then they started using WhatsApp uh, as a means by which they could communicate with the doctors. And literally uh, the hit rate went up about 40 times in terms of the response rate. So you send somebody a WhatsApp and they were responding to it. The doctors were responding. So it was great in the sense of they could respond to the pandemic. It was terrible in the sense that all of those defenses that they had in place associated with communication and email were now no longer available. And so, you know, we get involved because now you've got to try to protect that new means of communication back and forth. And you're, and people are doing it because it's more effective than other communication tools like email have been. So Jim, you know, having thought about that, um, one, of the, one of the topics that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and Javad and I have both, uh, we've done a, a talk on this and it's something that I've played with, but deep fakes, how is yeah. that going to play into what's going on? Because like you said, a lot of these defenses um, are going away as we go into Slack, we go into stuff like that. But also, um, you know, with deep fakes, people are not aware of these. And I think we're reaching the point of technology where we're actually going to start seeing real attacks, real verified attacks mm -hmm. through this kind of medium happening. What are your thoughts on how we're going to defend against that? Yeah, so I, I mean, in a, in a kind of a weaponization aspect to it, so there's there's two different pieces to to that 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 I think are worthy of of talking about. The first one is um, if you think about the nature of engagement, right? I can send a message, I can send a link, I can send a file, I can have a voice communication, I can have a video communication, and one of the things that we're very aware of on this digital risk surface is. It's not just about it's it in in that it's not like email. It's not just about you know largely content, uh, written content going back and forth. The ability to evaluate risk has to encompass all of those different types of media, 
and different types of risks, right? Whether it's steganography that's inside of an image or is the image itself something that's a manipulated behavior uh, that, that the company, you know, for the purposes of misinformation. And so uh, that kind of holistic aspect of all the different types of communication is something we're very sensitive to. And, but the other part about it, and, and this may very well be what you guys were talking about is, you know, that concept of deep fakes as a way to propagate the disinformation, misinformation uh, is really, really challenging, right? Because now you're talking about, it's not something that came into my infrastructure that I can see and respond to as a risk. It's out there and I have to have uh, a means by which I can find that if it's damaging to my organization and, and, be, and have a means by which I can reach out and do something about it. Uh, which is which is really challenging. Um, you know, the we as as we've built the business, we've tried to build really close relationships with the different social networks. And part of the reason is is because it's not just about the visibility; it's about the response. But um, it can be a real challenge uh, for for organizations. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned all these different types of. Uh, ways to communicate, you know, email, text messages, phone calls, all that kind of good stuff. And we've even already seen hybrids of those where, you know, in a scam situation, an email goes out, says, hey, this is the CEO. I need you to wire a whole bunch of money, followed by a text message that's spoofed that says, I just sent you an email. I need this taken care of now. And right. people just drop all pretense of, of concern. They're, you know, obviously it's legit. If I got it from two sources, now what if we get a, a call? You know, and it says, I got to run real quick, but make sure that gets taken care of. I already texted you and emailed you. Make sure it happens. Right. All of a sudden, this is going to legitimize things in a, in a big way in the scam side of things, just as much as anything else. Right. And that's why you have to get back to this concept where, you know, where our, our primary mission is to be savvy about this new digital the part of the of the resurface, the digital apps and comms that companies are using. But in truth, another big challenge is how do you calibrate and coordinate that with the other platforms that companies have because the attacks are multimodal, as you're saying, Eric. It's, you know, and so the ability to see, I've got an individual that's being targeted via voice, via text, via WhatsApp uh, is incredibly powerful. Uh, and, and so, you know, we think a lot about that uh, we've worked on on several different integrations that are really built towards that kind of um, unified picture. Um, you know, we, we have a big integration with CrowdStrike that's kind of one of a kind for the industry. And the idea is that 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 the more that you have uh, your your risk surfaces interwoven so that you can see that kind of systemic approach, the better off you are, because, again, the, the adversaries don't don't care. They're just looking for an opening. And the opening may very well be, uh, you know, multiple feints, as, as you guys have referenced previously. Yeah, you know, just a quick comment on that. Um, you know, back in the day, we had to worry about networks. You know, back, back when I started, it was network devices. What gets plugged into your network and what may come through a firewall? That was all we had to deal with. And now... We're talking about crazy stuff. We're talking about, you know, remote access for humans everywhere connected to the cloud. You know, half the time the stuff goes straight to a cloud. It doesn't even come in through your corporate stuff anymore. I mean, what what a world and how it's changed. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you, you cannot protect it by trying to suck all the data through a single straw uh, at this point. It's it's just impossible. 
Uh, and so there, there needs to be a, a means by which you, you can protect, you know, across all of those apps and something obviously we're, we're excited about. I, I just want to insert one other element about it because I think it's important to, to, to have people think about, which is uh, the aspect of privacy. Um, you know, when you think about your work email, right, it's not yours. Now, you might think it is and you, you buy your movie tickets that way and, you know, you don't give it a second thought. But at the end of the day, the company manifestly owns your email that's coming in and out. Uh, with a lot of these platforms, um, there is a different perception of privacy. And by the world, by the way, privacy has become such a uh, an issue kind of around the world in terms of raising awareness and protecting individuals and subjects and, and the like. And so one of the things that we've really thought about as a centerpiece of how do you protect this surface is how do you provide protection on behalf of the organization while providing the ability to respect that individual's privacy for the underlying content? How do you abstract the IOC from the underlying content? And, and that kind of uh, capability is essential in this particular world because uh, it is not like email. It is very different in that the sense of what is private and not uh, has is different, has to be respected, has to be engineered in, or else you don't get adoption. And that's certainly what we've learned. Yeah, definitely. We, we saw this a few months ago when uh, Microsoft announced their productivity tracker tool that they 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 put out for managers and yeah. it, it went down as about as well as a lead balloon uh, yeah. so it, it it was um because like i think that although the intent can be right uh you're you're right the privacy implications are just so huge there and also the, the potential for misuse by um, poorly trained management or uh, you know who, who might use it as an excuse for for all kinds of other things, but it's uh, it's definitely a massive topic to unpack in its own right, especially as you travel around the world, and uh, uh, you know with with Europe as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so we, we we've spoken a lot about um, the the technology and the approach, and and y you've done an amazing job with with the organisation, and uh, uh, you know I I think you know, founders of, of startups, uh, being a founder of a startup and growing it is, is no easy task. You see many people fail at, at their hurdles. And uh, a couple of months ago, you, you were able to secure uh, another round of funding. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think you've got Cisco investment involved in, in that yep. one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I, I suppose there's lots of people thinking out there, like I could, I, I want to be a startup uh, entrepreneur, or I, I, I've got a great idea. Um, what what advice would you would you give someone looking to break into the, the, this field? Yeah, so I, I mean, first it would be remiss without saying you know we're we're really excited about the round uh, Cisco, uh, Night Dragon, uh, and uh, which is the fund that's that's led by Dave DeWalt and uh, and the folks at Allegis Cyber. Uh, we're all backers for that strategic growth round. So it, it's it's a it's it's a great substantiation of what we're doing, and we're really exciting because excited because it's translated directly into expanding the team and and as you kind of referenced a little bit there, thinking about new markets and the like. But um, you know, putting on my entrepreneur's hat, uh, you know, I, I would say a couple of things. You know, the first is I would definitely argue it, there's never been a better time. Uh, to, to be an entrepreneur uh, than, than right now in the sense of availability of capital, 
the ability to build a business at scale uh, with the technologies that are available. Uh, I've certainly seen tremendous change between the first entrepreneurial effort I ever had, which was in the mid 1990s, uh, and now just over that you know 26 year period, uh, the, the technology has just shifted tremendously. So it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, there are a few things that I definitely kind of subscribe to as as lessons learned. One is, you know, there is only one Steve Jobs. And I've heard this a few times and, and I think it definitely resonates, which is there are people who say, you know, uh, a great entrepreneur is just like Steve Jobs. And I really feel like Steve Jobs is a one off. I really admire the um, the leaders who are more like Tim Cook or Tim Apple, as 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 we were joking uh, <laughs> the other time, uh, who who really think about kind of the leadership and the building of the team and the building of the culture. And so, uh, you know, one of the things is never forget you're not Steve Jobs. Uh, another another thing that I'm a, a big believer on because I've seen it happen again and again is there's this entrepreneurial fallacy which is you believe that your idea is so good, it will sell itself. I literally had my you know, much more senior co-founder in my startup in the 90s say that to me. He said, we don't need a sales team. This thing is so awesome that it will sell itself. It never did. And we were really successful in the end. But you have to have a mindset, which is about the idea that day one, you really got to be thinking about selling. And so that's something that, that I'm a, a big believer in. And then the last one is, you know, in terms of, let's call it technical underpinning, uh, I had uh, the opportunity to study with a professor at the University of Virginia at the Darden School, whose name is Sarah Sarasvathy. And Sarah Sarasvathy has a theory that's called effectuation. And I'll spare you the details, but basically what it is, is it's a lot of a study of the mindset of entrepreneurs and how entrepreneurs don't focus on a specific goal but think a lot more about the capabilities that they and their partners bring to the table and what they can do to build a business based on what's available to them. And so uh, it's very much like lean startup in its thinking. But I, I guess I would tell you, if I, if I was encouraging an entrepreneur, I'd say, you know, go to effectuation.org and, and look at the writing that's there, because there's a lot of things that you'll read about being an entrepreneur and they'll immediately you know, pop up like a light bulb. So th those are a couple of things that that are you know very top of mind for me uh, in in my entrepreneurial journey and what I'd say to potential entrepreneurs. Excellent, good good information there. Wise words, and and uh, I'm shocked to hear that you 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 know you were in your first startups in the mid '90s. That makes you nearly as old as as Grandpa Eric over here. Well, he's he always to talking the... about. Oh, he had to throw the 26 years uh, back then. <laughs> he had to throw in the, the years behind that, man. That that was just not right. I know. Yeah, it was, I, it was a great time. I mean, being in a startup in the 90s um, was just, you know, wild. All of those moments of going public and, uh, um, you know, this is before Starbucks and, and all of that and the internet bubble. Uh, it, it was It was crazy. I mean, it's crazy again, so that doesn't change, but there are aspects of it that were, were pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Wolf of Wall Street, I suppose, was a documentary <laughs> toned down. It's exactly what our business was like. It was totally like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Eric, can you attest to that? What was, uh, was it like that when you were? In, you know, in, in my... 
in my experience, which is broad and vast. Well, he doesn't really have broad and vast experience. Sorry, sorry, go on, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay, he said no. So clearly I cut him off at the right place. Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed this. We, we, you know, it's at least for me, it's been a great excuse just to, just to catch up with you again. Uh, okay. We should we should do this more often. And uh, yeah, uh, everyone watching, please check out Safeguard Cyber. Uh, tell tell them that um, you you heard about it on the Jerick Show. And uh, Jim, uh, best of luck, and uh, speak to you soon. Maybe at Black Hat. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.